Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That's ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Again, that's ebaymotors.com. It's a wrestling perspective here on Fightful. Back from an overseas trip tour. What were you you even doing in Germany? Well, I play in a German band called Stomper 98. And we just finished up a new record. And so I went over there to film some stuff and to do photo shoots and and stuff like that so it was uh, a very quick but long traveled trip the so jet setting video filming podcast recording lars frederickson yeah i mean there i was in the middle of germany but it was it was fun i had a good time with the guys and we hadn't seen each other in like five years just because You know, last time I was there, I mean, that was it for that year. And then the pandemic happened, you know, amongst so many other things. Do they know you as a podcast star now? Well, they know that I'm uh, uh, because Sebi, one of his, his kids used to be wrestling fans. So me and one of his sons actually formed a, a, a pretty cool bond. I got him like a original box of bootios because he loved the new day and you know, so it was, it was, uh, so they, they know that, uh, that I do the podcast for the wrestling stuff. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm Dennis Farrell. We have a lot of questions to get to. You put a call out. Uh, people got a little bit more e, uh, AEW questions for you, by the way, Dustin Rhodes will join us here in a few minutes. We can't wait. Can't excite. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm a little. I, I'm gonna try not to be starstruck. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Like that's one of those guys. No, me too. It will be hard not to be. But let's knock out all these questions. Uh, we'll start at the bottom. Alex from Michigan, Troy, Michigan. Uh, I know AEW's been struggling in ratings. Do you think a move to a different night would fix this? Is it a network thing? Do you think AEW is strong enough right now to move to Mondays? Maybe not go up against Raw, but sometime on a Monday night. I just don't think that people are engaged because of the follow through. I think there's a lot of things that they, I feel like they placate to the audience that is in, they don't placate. They don't, it feels sometimes like, and I don't know, I mean, it's just my opinion, right. Or just what I've experienced. So I guess it's more of an experience as as opposed to an opinion. I feel like they don't they like they do things like why did will hobbs lose the title why does Britt baker single-handedly beat the shit out of the outcasts and then come back and get 
I don't know. It's just a lot of things don't really make sense. I feel like it's very, uh, I don't feel like when you, if you're an AEW fan, you're going to watch no matter what, right? It's just, you, you, you just like the guys, whatever. But if you like a storyline, like I think most professional wrestling fans do, AEW, I can't really say is the best place for that. And I think that if you can't wrap somebody up emotionally or get somebody emotionally attached to, attached to a character or whatever it is, you, it, there's a great chance you're probably going to lose viewership because of those things. Now, I'm not an expert, but like there are some times when there's people on the screen that I don't really care about and I disengage or but I'm also but I'm also a fan though. I I do like the product because you know it's it's uh it's an alternative to in a sense and it's and it's I love in, independent kind of style wrestling so that's what you get with AEW. You know, I'll say this. I think and I've said this a million times. I think we're brainwashed to believe that Monday night is where your big show should be and it's been proven over history that shows opposite WWE or even on the same night can draw ratings. If you put a good product on, people will come to it. That I being just, said, yeah. maybe it'd be easier for me to watch another big show on a Monday night since I'm already engaged in WWE or I would flip back and forth. But I just find it hard on Wednesday night after you just did WWE on Monday and then maybe something on Tuesday and then you get to Wednesday and you're a little like, Okay, I at some point I gotta spend time with the family, right? Yeah, well, and I like the fact that they're on two different nights. And I mean, I mean, I do look forward to Wednesday night more than I look forward to Monday night in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but I think WWE is catching up and and understanding that the fan base wants more pro wrestling, and that's the one thing that you will get at AEW. It might be sometimes a shit show, but you still get like pro wrestling. Uh, Paul J from Ontario, uh, with the WWE draft just being announced, who would your top picks be? Well, Cody, obviously, I think he's incredible. I would go uh, uh, the, the two that I would want the well. There's there's three I would want the most: Gunther, Cody, and Rhea. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think Gunther would probably be my number one right now, just with what he's doing. I love the fact of what they're doing with Cody. I know a lot of people are kind of knocking the WWE for this, but you know, de depending on what I, I we're opposite, depending on how the storyline plays out, I like, and I think we've said this before, at least my view on Cody is if you push him to the top and give him the belt too soon, you, you have the problem you've had with the last couple of champions where everybody feels like you're shoving them down the throat. If you give them the Daniel Bryant treatment where it feels like he has to work his way back up, people will be more behind them when you put the belt on them. So that's from that aspect. I love what they're doing with Cody right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not, they know that business better than I ever will. Right. So they're going to have a better sense. I mean, they wouldn't have lasted for how many decades now, if they didn't know what they were doing. And it's, if, if, if they don't know what they're doing, then zero people watch, but that's not the case with, with them. You know, and that's the, that's the thing. It's like you, it's really easy to say that we know better, but and at the end of the day, they're the ones running the company with viewership. Now, whether it's, you know, 1 million or 800,000 or 1, 2 million or 
whatever. If it's not goose egg, then you're doing something. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, so. I, I do think the draft concept is flawed in, in a place where you own everything and there are no trades. I know they tried to do it here and there. And every once in a while, you'll get the free agent and everybody jockeys for it. I think that's once every five years. But they, I don't feel like WWE does enough throughout the year to build or make the draft feel special. It's just like, hey, it's Wednesday. We may have a draft next week. We don't know. Right. Go care about it. And I'm like, I don't care because you just know at the end, it doesn't matter what show they're on anyways. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but I've always preferred SmackDown. And this is over the last, you know, 20 years or 15 years or whatever. Um, I've always preferred SmackDown as a show. You know, so uh, Jack's from Atlanta. I don't agree with AEW's four pillars, but who would your AEW four pillars be? He didn't put what he thought his would be, but I kind of would be curious to know what he would think, you know. Um, well, I mean, that's tough. Because... I don't feel like Jungle Boy should have been a pillar. I don't agree with that. I'm no, okay I mean... with Darby. Yeah, Darby makes sense. I think uh, Cody, well, uh, currently or I, I let's say current. I mean, let's work with what what they have to work with right now at that right. moment. Yeah, I would I would definitely think Darby and MJF are in that conversation. Yes. I would also think that, uh, you know, fuck. I mean, that's I such a hard question. It, it, you know, I'm trying to think like who, you know, I would obviously give Britt Baker her due and that say that she's part of that as well. I mean, even though it's you know not the you know, it's a different division. But well, let's I mean, let's define what thinking, a pillar is in in our opinion because it could be well, Britt Baker. Britt Baker, I believe, is like the leader of the women's division. I just don't yes. think that there's. I, and I think that if Thunder Rosa was there, that would be my pick right now because Thunder Rosa, pound for pound, is the best women's wrestler that, that they have in that um, uh, in that division. Um, I think it's like the top three are Britt, Ruby, and and Thunder. But, and I'm not being biased because of Ruby, but I just think that I just, you know, I feel like she's just got so much more in her um, and she just shows that. But, uh, you know, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a tough question because it, there's been a lot of change too, you know? Yeah, I, I look at that roster and I see a lot of guys that could be main eventers that just aren't doing it yet. Uh, when, when you've put Jungle Boy out there, who's been kind of, muddled in mid card and tag team action and you tried to tell me he's a pillar of your company i i shake my head and go that that's you know the third guy you tried out maybe the fourth like come on guys Look, it's it's such a millennial way to look at the world it's kind of like if we say it enough it'll happen you know it's and i'm not it, you know I, I you know millennials are what they are um and you're one but and uh well you are Right, but no, and I think, I, but, I agree. and I, it's a different view of the world, right? So just like my view is a little bit different because of my generation or whatever. And it's not, nothing's better or worse, but I would say it's a very, uh, it's that. And I know if you hate me for that, you can fucking suck my dick, but for saying that, but you can blow me. I don't give a fuck, you know. But uh, we'll just keep being friends. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, no, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I'm. I, my future wife is a millennial but my, my point is it's it's i feel like it's a different view i feel like they're trying to elevate guys in those positions by saying that they're this 
but that's not really how it's done, you know? Great. And I feel like there's a lot of that in that, in that generation. So like, right. there's no, there's no real grit, you know, yeah. I think it's very forced. And and that's exactly what that segment felt like when they were like, these are the four pillars. I'm like, yeah, the two that I believed in were Darby and MJF like yes. that. I could, but not, I, I would give, you know, uh, Sammy Guevara. No, I no. mean, I think he's, I think he's, he's not even he, the best guy in the group he's in. No, I mean, it's, it, uh, you know, I, I don't think jungle boy, I mean, jungle boy, you know, I feel is, 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 is his promos are getting better, but they're still very, very, you know, they need to be worked on. Right. I mean, you, you want to believe in this guy, right. And if you can't, part of the believability is being able to talk and make me believe in you. And he hasn't gotten to that point yet. I used to see him on the Indies and, and, and I knew he was talented and, and then, you know, He's now on TV and he's in a, in a, in a, in a cool position, but there's, I feel like there's so many other guys that are more deserving of that title shot. Here's one from Sean. Sean wants to know, uh, what are your top five current and top five all time wrestling theme songs? I couldn't, I don't have a list. I'm sorry. No, I looked, I mean, all time. I'd have to put Hulk Hogan's real American on there. Despite whether you like them or not, every time you heard that song, you felt real patriotic, like you wanted to rip a shirt, I think. <laughs> um, I I was always, uh, there was something about Jake the Snake Roberts theme song. When you heard that, you know, that 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 heavy drum beat, you knew something bad was going to happen. Then you had the Ultimate Warrior, you know, guitar riff. You You got all hyped up. I was not, you know, because I, I was been thinking about this, like, the Bret Hart theme song never really got me, you know, I I didn't care that much about it. I think the theme songs in the 90s were way better than the Attitude Era theme songs. There were a couple ones that you'll always remember, but do you remember them because it was amazing or it was the wrestler? That's But in the 90s, it didn't matter. You just still remember those songs, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Joe Hendry's got a great... Every, every few weeks yes yes i mean so i'm always into that um shit i mean i always love the takers theme you know obviously that would always give me goosebumps uh, mick foley was yep. always had a good one the midnight express i mean that's classic um sensational sherry's heartbreak song where she did it over the one where he did it i liked it when she was singing it the one that I feel that that is the most perfect for the character, so I would have to give it top two, is Rich Swan. Like anytime his music hits, you know it's him. You know, so for me, Rich Swan and his intro music, it's a match made in heaven. I don't think you. you it's like at, as a songwriter, as a musician, I think that when you do something that is so perfect, or that you feel is perfect. And that's that doesn't happen very often for me. But when I every time I see Rich in the music, it's like perfect. Like I would never ever change that. It's just too good. I think that's the problem with AEW. It doesn't have the history yet where you feel connected to the theme songs. Like 
AEW hasn't really had, and this is not their fault. It's just as a, as a growing company, they haven't had that moment where you go, this is the company's top five moments. I don't know if I can name five moments, not that, and it's not a knock on AEW because, you know, you go back to, you know, outside WWE who nobody well, can listen better to- than them. Yeah, AEW has way better intro music than the WWE. I mean, that's just yes. You know, I mean, so I don't even think it's fair to even to even, you know, because I mean, if you think of cult cult of personality for punk, that's perfect. That's like a Rich Swan, Ruby Soho. Obviously, that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, Jericho has his thing. You know, which he sings himself, which people get behind. Obviously, uh, Jungle Boy. People are always singing that. But then, and then you think about the WWE, like then there's you know guys like what's his nuts the the hipster douchebag, uh, yeah, what's his name um, the the hipster the hipster Miz? not the Miz the other hipster um, Jake Paul <laughs> no all, no Jake all kids Paul to be. yeah I know fair enough um, what's his name R O old R O H guy uh, um, God yeah. I'm blanking. I'm not having a good day today. I'm blanking. That's all right. I mean, uh, Gunther's theme song, I don't think there's anything right right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's all perspective and relative to, to the, to the listener. (laughs) But you you being, you being a music guy and here's why. Yeah, but that doesn't make me an expert, you know, so. But it gives you background. I mean, to a, to a certain degree. I mean, it's like if it's other musicians playing music, that's a little bit more akin to me than me watching wrestlers coming out to music. So, you know what I mean? So yeah. you can't, I, you can't, you can't, it's like I'm a musician, right? Well, quote, but like I, if I watch a band, that that's going to be more relative to what we're talking about than me as a wrestling fan watching a wrestler come into intro music. I, yeah. I guess what my my point was, uh, the moments in AEW, I connect moments to the music. And without those special moments at AEW that I wish I could name some, and I'm sure AEW diehards will yell and throwing things at their computer at me, but you know they don't have the history yet. And you don't have that emotional connection to the music where someone's getting beat down and then, you know, boom, Stone Cold's music hits. And then all of a sudden you become connected to that to that moment. That's... And I think I see, I see AEW that. I needs. See that. So that's well, what I, th- I, was... I think they do have it. I just don't think that he's wrestling in the company right now. <laughs> Hopefully soon, depending on what the rumors are. I don't know. Uh, it's all a bunch of rumors, probably. Anyway, I when nobody knows him around here, so it's okay. Anyways, so we don't start any uh, 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 gossip. Let's try to sneak one more question in. This comes from Amber. Amber wants to know with Dax's announcement of ending his podcast with. Because he feels like it's doing more harm than good. Uh, and you guys have a success rate of having wrestlers on your podcast. What was the difference between having Dax's podcast and having wrestlers on your podcast? And I, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know how Dax's podcast did any harm, honestly. But, you know, it's, I mean, go ahead, Dennis, go ahead. I think the difference is, when you get and what we have done is we create a culture where we have, you know, like we've had PD and before you came along, there was Eli Drake or LA Knight. You know, we had these guys talking to other guys and they talk about the business to each other. And listen, uh, 
I, I've talked to Matt Coon before, who is his co-host. Nice guy. I don't really know him, but I've fallen into this trap before. And as hosts, sometimes we hang our, our talent out to dry when we ask them a subject because we know it's going to get a lot of hits. And I'm not saying that's what he did, but I've been guilty of that before with PD and during interviews. And I think when you have a wrestler and you have uh, topics like that, they get in trouble. But when you have a couple wrestlers and they're talking about the times or they're interviewing each other, it's fun and relaxed and they can relax a little bit. But that's, that's just my opinion. I think yeah, it's I, it was done as a problem. Well, I, I see that's the whole thing. It's like if you're going to do a podcast, and maybe this is what he figured out, you're going to have to be as candid and real as you possibly can. Right. And, but our podcast is different because we look for the human interest story. We're not looking for rumors or, you know, clickbait or whatever it is. Now, some of the things that come out on our podcasts, you know, become newsworthy or news bits or whatever it is. And that's cool, but that's not like the main objective. Right. right. Um, so I don't see because then there's you got like a Jim Cornette uh, who does basically two podcasts a week, um, the drive through and, and the experience. Right. And although the shows are called something different, they're they're basically the same. And what you do is you get, you know, to um, you, you get Jim's experience, like whether it's with his fucking gardener or whatever the fuck. And then he'll go into some old stories or whatever, like. The other day he was talking about how they would take cassette tapes to the auditoriums that they'd wrestle and just about like, you know, and things that I never even considered, like, you know, having so much heat, you had to run out the door. So you'd leave your tape with your intro music at the venue or the people at the venue were like the janitor was the one to push and play on the, you know, like, or just whatever it was, which I remember back in the day you know, when we would be on tour or whatever, and we, if we wanted an intro song or something to be played before, it was like finding somebody to do that was a whole other job. You know, right. the sound man, you know, well, I don't have control of the stereo that go, you know, the music, you get what I'm saying? So it's Absolutely. like, you know, it's, you know, that's the other thing that you get by listening to that. But, and that's kind of where I felt Dax was, you know, it's like he would give you personal experience or whatever else, but it wasn't like, you know, griping on today's wrestling either. All right. With that being said, uh, when we come back, we're going to have Dustin Rhodes. Thank you guys so much for watching Wrestling Perspective at Gmail. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what is the first thing that you would do? Read a book, take a nap, play some video games, do something for a friend, volunteer. A lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time, but the question is, time for what? And if it was unlimited, how would you go about using it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important for you and to make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is so valuable. It's gotten me through some tough times, really helped me reflect on things that are important, specifically with BetterHelp. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be the convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. This is so beneficial when you've got that crammed schedule and you can't even imagine finding that extra hour. 
You can do it all from home. Fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Fightful today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Fightful. It's so flexible and it can help you find that social sweet spot with BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com slash Fightful. .com. We will be right back. Lars, we're back. I'm starstruck. Uh, I, I told you I wouldn't be, but here I am. I'm like my younger self, excited. <laughs> Dustin Rhodes is joining us. Lars, I know before we talked about how we're going to try to maintain our coolness. I'm not going to do it. I lied to you. Well, you know what? I mean, what's there to say? Let's just jump right in there. I mean, I, you know, let's get going. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we truly appreciate it. We're both massive fans of yours, and uh, we're really excited to hit you with a bunch of nerdy questions today. Sounds good to me, and I'm a big fan of y'all, too. Thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate thank you. So, listen, I'm going to start out uh, with just kind of the nerdiest aspect of uh, pro wrestling, and it's the face paint. You've been wearing a face paint for so long now. You yeah. You've transitioned into a Dustin Rhodes character in AEW. How important was it to bring that face paint with you to AEW or maybe alter it to whatever personality you were going to portray on camera? So, you know, in WWE, being there for so long, like 24 years or whatever, that's all I'd known was the face paint. And before that was just, you know, dusting Dustin trying to find his way in WCW the early days with no paint, just cowboy gear, whatever. Um, so I wanted to kind of do a little Dustin Rhodes one side and, and a throwback to the paint with gold dust. So that's why I chose the half and half. Um, and I thought that was important. I just had to switch up the colors, you know. Well, you know, we all saw you in WCW kind of finding yourself you're always like a, an amazing wrestler amazing performer you know doing the gold dust thing was obviously a, a complete 180 for you you know yeah. what i mean so yeah. when when you're when you're when you're presented with this idea and this is what you're doing you know was there anything that you like was there anything that you did to to sort of get you in that mindset of like this is this is how i want to present him he's going to be this sexualized you know, you know, whatever it was, were you drawing any inspiration from anything? Uh, not really. I was so young, you know, and, you know, being presented with this character, it, um, it had to kind of grow on me, right? I, I was scared to do certain things. And, and, you know, for me personally, and what I've learned over the years is, people that are trying to create something new character-wise in the pro wrestling industry, have to want to step out of their comfort zone and when you step out of your comfort zone that's usually where the magic happens even though it's so uncomfortable you just don't think you could do it that's where the magic happens and it took me a good six months you know with this character knowing he's an androgynous character complete opposite from what i broke into the business with as dusty son and all this and that and i was looking for a way to just kind of make 
my name on my own, right? With with this character, and Vince gave me full reigns. He, you know, he didn't have anything negative to say to me ever, man. He just let me play with it and tweak it and get it to where it needed to be. And it took like six, seven months, right? Because I wasn't getting the reaction that I wanted to get at the beginning of learning how to be a heel for the first time. And I'm painted in this just outrageous, this this presentation of a character that you know, the world is seeing for the first time way before it's time. Yes, yes. I was scared to step over the line, right? And when I did that, they responded like crazy. And it was that easy. And it was just me stepping over into the unknown that made this thing work. And then once I did that, I'm like, okay, that wasn't so bad. I can do this now. I can play this character. I can play this movie part. Um, and did it. We ran with it. And, you know, the, over the years, the, the character evolved so, so much. And we did so many great things with it. And now the character Goldust is just this gay icon in, in the world of pro wrestling, right? So it's like, I made a pretty good name for myself there with, with the character and did it, and did it justice and did it well. And I thought leaving there and coming back into my full circle, one last ride, which has been my thing is, you know, how can I take this to the next level and utilize, you know, the, the paint and the old natural Dustin Rhodes character. And, you know, right now I would, I would definitely say I'm having probably, and they're few and far between, but I'm having probably the best matches I've ever had in my career. And it's, it's fun. It got fun again. I found my passion again, because sometimes we get a little complacent up there when you're not being utilized or whatever, and you don't understand why. And you just want to be pushed to the moon, but it's, it's not always about me or anybody else for that matter. And it's a, it's a patience game. And it took me a little long. It took, took me a long time to figure that out. And now that I have, that's what I can share with the youngins and the young kids today. They're really chomping at the bit and they're frustrated and they don't understand why they're not getting pushed to the moon. And they might be the best damn workers on the planet. There's just not enough time on a television show to put you all in at once. And it is what it is. And Tony does his best with, putting the people on and getting them, you know, some television recognition. It's just, it's, it's changed dramatically over the years. Well, one of the things I, I'm sorry to cut off Dennis, but I, something that you said to me was super interesting, how you talked about how the gold disc character, which was, was ahead of its time. And the reason why I identified with it is because it was so, it was on 10, right? When did you have that moment doing the character where you was where you were like first of all made the real realization like shit this is ahead of its time and uh i'm doing something now that uh, maybe you didn't realize at the time but maybe i'm doing something now that's going to be looked at looked back as it being ahead of its time if that makes sense yep so it happened in madison square garden and it happened in 1996 i think and I was wrestling Sabio Big, and we've been doing, you know, house show loops for weeks and I think months, and just getting my bearings, trying to figure out the heel work and, and the character and stuff like that. And every night he would want me to do a certain thing, and I would say, "No, I can't. I just can't do that," because I was scared. I was scared to cross the line. Yeah. And 
this is back when Vince used to go to the the house shows and just be a fan of the curtain and watch the shows and see who was getting reactions, see who was getting the responses from the crowd and things like that. Um, and he was there and I was like, oh God, Savio, and we're in the garden. I mean, this is the Mecca, Puerto Rico. He's Puerto Rican, you know, the, the Puerto Rican population in New York is like very high. And 1996, it's crazy. And, you know, it was as simple as, okay, I'm gonna do this tonight. And so I go out there and yeah, I'm scared to death. And we get to the point of the match where I'm going to do this thing, which is basically just go behind him and rub up and down his chest. He turns around and he charges me and I just bail out of the ring. That simple. But the rubbing up the chest part is what really pissed off the fans. Oh yeah. And I was scared to death of that, right? Cause I, I didn't want to portray this, I don't know, this something that I'm not. But that's show business. That's 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 what brings out characters and makes them really, really good or really, really shitty. And as soon as I heard that response from the New York crowd and they're ruthless, it was like, holy shit. I just tapped into something that I thought I couldn't do. And I stepped over the line. It worked. And I'm just looking and they're they're yelling every kind of a obscene thing to me that possible throwing stuff and they had to make an announcement stop throwing stuff or you'll be ejected you know and they're still throwing shit and i'm just like dodging <laughs> weeping. and i roll back in the ring and Savio's in the corner and he's uh he's he's just laughing right and i'm like what the fuck are you laughing at and we lock back up and he said and i said what are you laughing at he said see how easy that was now watch i'm gonna make you do one more thing and i'm like okay so I pushed him back to the corner. He said, turn around and rub your ass in my crotch area. <laughs> so I did it, right? I, I turned around and I just, you know, made these facial expressions, these weird ass facial expressions. And he charged me again and I rolled out again. The rest was history. Wow. From that point on, it, you know, gold dust became gold dust. And I kind of found the character that night. And it, it was it was freaking cool. And they had a, a really nice run for a while. You know, at the end of your last answer, when you were talking about getting uh, your passion back, which kind of led into my next question is you talk a lot about your recovery and very proud of it. But I've never actually heard you talk about when you actually got your passion for pro wrestling back during that time. Do you kind of have that I, I miss the industry moment during your recovery, or was that something that maybe didn't leave or came after? It, it came after because, and you know, I don't want to go like too, too in depth on it because yeah, I could talk all day about this, but you know, my recovery had to come first. And of course, in the back of my head, I'm worried about, well, how am I going to survive? You know, when they tell me, I can't go get a job. I can't do this. The recovery comes first. And it really did. And, and my wife, she basically took the reins and she supported us while I was getting better. And it took a couple of years of me going to meetings every night and just trying to get my shit together and not thinking about the wrestling industry, just thinking about the things that I needed to patch up in my life and, and fix and get to that next level of where it needed to be, you know, and then being rehired by WWE. Um, and starting to kind of get into it again, scared to death that I could not do this without some kind of altering substance in my body, scared to death. 
I, I was like, am I going to be able to have this a good match without something in my body? And I did. And was like, okay, that wasn't so bad. And, you know, then you go on and you go on and you go on. And then, you know, like so many before me, you just lose sight of having to be patient about things. You know, you don't see an end in sight. And I finally just had enough. And it was time for me to go and uh, out of WWE and into a match with my brother at, you know, the first double or nothing. And that moment, that night is where I found my passion again. Scared, pretty, pretty nervous about it, you know, because I had not worked for about six months and he's young. Everybody's so much faster and quicker. I'm older, you know, and, and, but Cody's a lot like me with his style of telling a story and, you know, just taking your time and letting things kind of gradually, what's the word for it? Uh, Organically kind of just present itself to the people in a story story setting and the story was there because we'd wanted a match for so many years and i told people about it you know i was pissed i wanted this match and i was told it was not good enough to be on the card at wrestlemania and i'm just like man and we proved them wrong but that night i found my passion again and you know it's it's dad's death it's it's a lot of a lot of contributors you know it's my sobriety it, it was all the things that the bad times that i had had that kind of knocked me down a peg and you know i had to find it again and i have and it's good i've kind of slowly gained my life back since 2008 and you know we're going on uh next month is will be 15 years clean and sober so it's and i i don't i don't want to go back there you know because that was all dangerous i mean this devil's right here on my shoulder and all i gotta do is turn around and go for a walk with him and i'll be right back or worse, in jail, some institution, or dead. And I don't want that, you know, because I can't just have one beer or one pill or anything else. So I got to stay away from it all. And, you know, you find an, a new addiction in, like, the gym. And I'm not a bodybuilder, but I go to the gym because it keeps my mind right. I need to keep moving. And that's where the whole thing, uh, keep stepping, came in because my dad would call me every single day after rehab. And he would say those words. So now I say it constantly and it just helps me get through the, you know, the one day, one minute sometimes at a time and know that it's okay. If I have a bad day, I'm doing it just fine right now. So, and you know. Yes, I do understand uh, 30 years in May. So. um, Fuck yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing that we're talking about because I don't normally don't really, you know, I, I, I practice the anonymous side, but yeah. finding, you know, I think for us as performers, and I wanted to get your opinion on this uh, because, you know, there's a few wrestlers left that are doing it that are able to tell these stories and they have a certain level of grit, right? And I think that, the newer generation, you know, it, it's not that I don't think that they have it. I just think it's a different kind, right? So in your perception of modern day wrestling, and you said it's a lot quicker and, and you know, maybe less on the storytelling side. It's more, it's more spots and big ooh-ahs maybe. I don't know what your opinion is. 
But do you feel that today's modern wrestling is something that's going to be able to carry it on for the next decade, the next couple decades? Because like it's kind of like, where do we go from here? So with AEW specifically, we have all kinds of styles, right? And I'm a storyteller side. I will tell a story in five minutes if I have to and do my best story that I possibly can in the time allotted. You know, it's hard when you're given uh, just a small amount of time, but that's the nature of television. Now, yeah, I mean, there are fans that like the high-flying stuff and stuff like that, right? And all the flips and things like that. And every once in a while, I'll do something stupid and crazy. But I think it adds to my, hey, man, this guy's 53 years old. How is he doing that? And that keeps me going just a little bit more. So I throw in some of those stuff with my storytelling. And I always say this to the new, the, the, the newer generation of kids is without the old school of thinking and ways and the basics and how we did it back in the day and how they did it before me, dad's era and all that stuff, there is no new school. You, you just can't jump into the new school without some kind, some form of storytelling and what, what brought you into the business, right? So I think there's a place for storytelling. And me personally, I think a long storytelling really pays off in the end. You know, you have a few week storylines that are just two or three or, or a month and that's fine. But I'm into the longer kind of storylines and those are few and far between for me anymore. And that's okay because I'm coming up on the end of my career. So it's, I'm just kind of having fun now. But to watch these kids go out there, I think the business is great, but it has grown so much. And I remember Vince McMahon always saying this to me, and he said this to me more than once. It was, look, the business is going to change. You're on the train or you're not on the train. It's going to keep going. And you got to grow with it, or you got to get off the train because that's what that's where it is right now. It's grown like crazy since the Attitude Era, since the days of old, you know, the uh, rock and roll era. Since the uh, the eighties, uh, the uh, Turner era, and all the you know Jim Crockett promotions, and all those days, it's it's changed. But what the fans still love is a story. Mm-hmm. And if you can make one person that is not a believer on that front row, and there's always one, he's just there with their kids, right? And their kids are excited to be there, but they're not. I will find that person and work that one person. If I get a reaction out of that one person at the end of the match, he's standing on his feet. I've done my job right because I know everybody else in the building's there. It's making somebody feel something, right? This is the television industry. This isn't the independence. And the independents are great for up-and-comers that are trying to make their name and, and work in front of people. And that's great. They need to do that. My students from Rhodes Wrestling Academy, I tell them, go get some work. Then we get you to AEW. We try to get you on dark and things like that and get a feeling of television because that's all I've done for so many years, except for 87, 88. Um, and it teach them for television. And it's important to know where your cameras are. It's important to feed your cameras. I mean, that, that camera's always trying to see reactions and stuff. And when you're facing the crowd in the building, and I'll say this to them too, the people in the building are great. They're they're our fans. We love them. We love to have them. But you need to be looking at that camera when you're you're 
selling, when you're in pain, when you're happy, whatever it is, you need to be looking at that camera because that's where your money's at. And it's very important to stay in tune with that and not focus so much on your surroundings in the arena. You listen to them and respond, always respond to the television. That's where your money is. I don't know if I answered the question. I kind of went in a roundabout way. Okay. Well, you know, uh, I have a question and I'm going to try to formulate it as I talk to you, but, uh, both of us, Lars and I being you know, WCW guys growing up, watching you, watching your dad, uh, it seems like once every few years, this video pops up of your dad playing basketball and yeah. his absolute athleticism that he had. But for whatever reason, in a lot of his televised matches, he doesn't show his athleticism. And uh, how different do you think his career would have been if he was able to show? Because if you haven't seen that basketball video, people out there watching this, uh, I mean, Dusty is balling. He, uh, Lars, have you seen this video? I have. Okay. I mean, he looks yeah, like. He, yeah. he is a three point at the buzzer, man. It's just crazy how, and you know, me and Cody, when he was a young boy, we would play horse in the, in the driveway. He always kicked our ass. Always. <laughs> I mean, he just, dump him all day long and i'm just looking at him and i'm like what in the holy dog fuck was that <laughs> yes um his his athleticism and here's another thing you know it's great be we have great athletes in the business right you look at shelton benjamin one of the oh, yeah. greatest in the business right you look at brock lesnar that's not going to take you as far as you want to go you need charisma and that's what dad had. Dad wasn't ever known for being one of the best workers in the business, but he was a damn good talker. He's one of the best talkers in the business. And he brought the people in and he had charisma. So he made them feel something on a, on a level that I can't uh, understand. You know, it's, it's amazing to watch him, you know, some of the old tapes and just how loud the buildings were back then when he would shake his ass and just throw up the elbow and just walk kind of weird or whatever. That was just him being sassy and his, his charisma. And if you don't have charisma in the wrestling industry, you're dead in the water. And I'm sure for Lars, if you don't have charisma on stage playing or singing or, or you know, music and dancing around and doing all that things, I would think it's probably th- the same there too, unless they just love the fucking song. Right. And well, it, you need, you, need you, def, you need that connection. Like you're talking about, you need that. connection. Yeah. got to have connection with the fans, no matter what business it is, or, or you're only going to go so far in my opinion. <clears throat> well, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask, and I don't know if this is something, you know, psychologically that you just did, or if it was just intuitive, but you know, and I just will say that I saw your dad, uh, when it was an, it was a, it was, the Road Warriors and your dad versus, like, I think it was the Russians. It was Great American Bash on tour in, in 1986 when he mm-hmm. went out and shook his ass and did the, that was the biggest, it was just nuts, you know? Um, and then the, you know, this whole thing. Well, anyways, every time, and especially in the early days for you, when there was a beef, like, and a legitimate, whether you were in a cage, war games, whatever it was, when that boot came off and you used it as, as a weapon on your fist, I always thought to myself, and you did it in, 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 I think it was a war games, and you did it very early when you got into the ring. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, 
he now he's going to have to wrestle. And I, I, I literally was like, well, where's his shoe? Where's, where's the shoe? Like he's wrestling with one shoe on. And then, then like, as I'm going back, cause I used to be a tape trader. Right. And so I've yeah. the, the amount of wrestling that I've consumed in my life, I've probably forgotten more than I remembered, but your dad did the same kind of shit take off his cowboy boot, use it, put it on his fist punch. So was that like a psychological thing that you were trying to do? Were you trying, I mean, was that even, were you even cognizant that you were doing that? Or were you just, what was that? Because, and then you got to wrestle the rest of the match with one fucking boot. So I'm just wondering like, I, if you were. Like, I think that was, was, I think that was with Arn and the war games when I took it off and we had a pretty good little uh, rivalry there um, with Arn and he's one of my teachers, man. And he may have suggested it. I really don't remember. And it could have been just off the cuff, but it was like, you know, you just keep going. I wasn't, we weren't high flying and jumping off the ropes and stuff because that cage was pretty low. Right. Uh, the, the war games cage. So it's just a lot of fighting and hitting the ropes or whatever. So, you know, just being on one boot, it didn't bother me. I didn't think about it. But I think those those instances like that where there's not a DQ, you got to utilize those things. It's like the old bunkhouse matches. You take off right. your boot, use your tape fist, you wrap a chain, and you, you know, get the bull rope out under the ring and, you know, things like that, hit them with the cowbell. They pop for those things, and they like those things. And, you know, the old westerns and the old cowboys, you know, uh, kicking the shit out of each other. And they, it's just a, a real kind of feel fight. Right. Well, my, my, yeah, my point, my go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but you, it wasn't the first time that you did it. It's what I'm saying is like you would do that. And I saw you do it a few times, but it elevated it. It elevated that match. It elevated the, the anger and the intensity. And it was just the simple thing of taking off your freaking shoe, putting it on your fist and hitting a guy like. So back then, right, I was doing nothing but listening. Okay, so I probably wasn't doing too much on my own. Mm. It's like I said, it was Barry, it was Bobby Eaton, it was Arn, it was Ricky Steamboat. Those guys, those men were my teachers. And I shut up and listened. And whatever Arn told me or Bobby Eaton or, or Barry, I just did. And I watched and I learned and, you know, um, improvising things every once in a while. I remember the first time I improvised something with Arn Anderson and then I apologized to him in the back afterwards, he said, what are you apologizing for? That was the best thing you could have done. That was great. And you thought outside for, for your own for one second, right? So I start, start getting it, but it takes time. And it's very important to listen to your teachers. And I think we've lost sight of that these days. You know, there's, there's a few of us left. <clears throat> and those few are here in, in AEW. And we got a knowledge, a wealth of knowledge in our, at our fingertips. And, some people ask and, and ask for, you know, stuff. A lot of them do. And then a lot of them don't. And that's okay. You go out there, do your thing, man, whatever. If you want my help, that's fine too. I'm going to help you. I'm not going to make you look like shit. You know, I, I look at both sides and I make sure what needs to be done. And we kind of build from there. That's how I do my coaching. Um, the pulling off the boot was always fun. Right. And I always love taping my fists up for those kind of matches. And I did it like a boxer where I'd go between the fingers and I just yeah. get into it. And it makes you makes you hungry and passionate for it. And you're loving what you're doing. You're in this prime spot. 
And the 92 war games was probably the best one ever. And I loved it. The Sting Squadron, Dangerous Alliance, Dangerous Alliance was, oh, it was money, man. It was so much fun. You talk about your 2023. Very interesting. Uh, breaking a lot of hearts, especially mine and Lars. Uh, when you announced it, we, we, I mean, not a month goes by that we don't talk about your last ride that you've talked about. Dangerous in wrestling to announce uh, maybe like something like that because they always say never say never or especially in wrestling never announce a retirement. How and I'm very sure it's very thought out, but how definite is this move for you in your career? Is this like eh, I'm transitioning maybe to a part time deal after 2023? Are you done done? Uh, don't break my heart. This is me as a fan, not me as a podcaster. Don't break my heart here. Okay. I want so, you to go forever, by the way. <laughs> shit. So you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh 35 years in the business, right? I have literally wrestled every everybody. I've done so many great things. The one person I wish I could have worked with and did not get a chance was Randy Savage. Oh, I've worked with everybody else. Everybody. And I have a great career. And when you are 35 years in the business and you're you're working pretty steadily on television basis for so long, your body takes a toll. And I've had a lot of surgeries. My knees are getting bad and it may be me saying, hey man, maybe enough's enough. But to, to answer you, um, honestly, I don't know. So, um, could I uh, sign another contract at the end of this this term here with uh, Tony and go on maybe less matches, you know, a few and four between some special, special things that come along down the pipe? Yes. Could I do it 365 days anymore? No, I couldn't. But we don't do that anymore. So it's, mm -hmm. it's changed dramatically over the years. It's not like the olden days in WWF when we're on the road 60 days of you know, in a row, and then you come home for three and you're back out for 30. It, it was a crazy time schedule back then. And it's a lot, there's a lot more time home now. And still love the business. So it hasn't left me yet. So I can't really say, hey, man, this is, this might be it. Um, I have been thinking about it, but I want to see what the next step is. And we're just not there yet. I'm still having fun. And every match that I have now that Tony puts me in, I'm like, man, my knees are hurting right now. And here's the one thing that I don't want to happen. The older I get at being 53, if I go out there and stumble and they see it, then they're going to call for my retirement. And I, I don't want to embarrass myself. And I think probably the, the other men and, you know, in this business, my age will probably think the same thing. No matter how confident we are in our thing, I think the older you get, the more wise you are to things and, and wanting to do things in the smart way and not the hard way anymore. But you love the business so much that you go out there and you give it your all. And I think I've always given my all every time I've been in the ring. And that's what's kept the fan base, you know, to a, a pretty good level for me. And they still kind of enjoy me and enjoy my wrestling. And that's a testament to my work rate and ability, not ever winning the world championship. Yes, I want that. But right now at this point, it's probably too late. And I, I would say it is too late. 
and I don't need it. So what else can I do besides pass on my knowledge to the kids? Um, but I'm still passionate about it and, and I think it's not there yet. So I'm hoping, you know, I can just tell you that I hope maybe this will continue on another couple of years. Maybe not. I, we'll just have to see where it goes when it, when that time comes. Well, one of the things, and I know that you know, you know that I have this. And so I'm going to show it to you though. And that's you and your brother and one of my favorite tag teams of all time that literally lasted yeah. probably a cup of coffee, but it was a rebirth. I saw, you know, for your career, it was like, it made me, it's like those moments when you fall in love with wrestling again. And then, you know, to crescendo with him, you know, in AEW and have probably, I would say I, in my top 10 matches easily is you and Cody. Right. And that the, your whole path, I mean, you, it's, each one of you, Rhodes brothers or fathers, have a storied, layered wrestling history. I mean, yeah. why hasn't there been a fucking book? Well, I've had the one book. Yeah. Right? But like a now book of like, because I mean, a I'm, lot has, has happened. I'm planning on it, actually. And I think the chapters will be about my uh, greatest rivalries, greatest matches and go into a story about each of those. And, um, but this one, I want to be a little longer book and I am, it is in the works. I just have not, I got to sit down with my publicist lady and we got to start talking about it and actually just bite the bullet and, and put it out there. Um, but I definitely do that because there is such a, a difference in all three of us over the years and you see the transitions and the Rhodes family is such a a powerful name in the wrestling industry and it is one of the royal families like the hearts the mans the you know and uh i take that to heart and just to sit back now and watch cody in his turn in his prime i mean kicking ass and taking names and i'm just like yeah i'm a little jealous he's doing such a great job but that that's just the brotherly uh, competition between us quit it well this is the book that you're talking about crossroads right? yeah yes so and it was a great read but what I, what i really want is what you're talking about like i know that there was some you know there's things that were touched but you know it's just like there's so much more it's like another lifetime if you don't mind me saying after that does that make sense yes and th yeah. that's that and and there was also things that you know anyways uh enough hero worshiping i digress i appreciate it and there is there is one in the works i promise cool. you so the matter of uh me sitting down with the ghostwriter and, and putting it to putting it to paper i i'm I, not gonna because I, I just you know i'm people wouldn't be able to understand it my grammatical errors will be all over the page <laughs> I know we could be doing this for nine more hours with you and you have a grandbaby to get to, and we each have one more question. And yeah, sure. I'm not sure if I have so much of a question as much as an observation that seems like crowds in 2023, when you come out, uh, have this much more different reaction than they've had over your career. Almost like they finally get you, like they get Dustin Rhodes, not 
the son of Dusty, not, you know, Cody's brother, but they get Dustin. Is that the feeling you get now when you come out and you hear the pop for yourself? Because it's very uh, like as fans, podcasters, we're very in tune to this kind of stuff. At least I think I am. And I think Lars thinks he is maybe. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but have you noticed that 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 pop is different for you now? I think it's a we we all love Dustin pop, right? Uh, Dustin has earned this. We all yeah. love him. We're here with him on that that last ride. I'm not too keen, and and I was at the beginning on my music because it kind of it, it it's a slow starter. It's not one of those like the gold dust chimes, man. Bam, and it hits, pops. It's a slow pop when it starts breaking into and, and it was kind of off a of brain stew with green day and they just kind of switched their ruckus you know played with it a little bit i would love you to make me something really cool that's catchy and bam pops right the shoot it would be I've, so cool for my last year or whatever i've got something for you bro that is gonna i mean i know that we like the same kinds of music and i know that you know Rock and roll is deep there. I got something for you. I, I'll, I'm going to send it to you, and then you can tell me if you like it. How about that? Of course. It's already got bass, drums, guitars. There's just no vocals on it yet, but I think it would be sure. perfect for you. That's awesome, man. Um, the fans today, I think, you know, and me being, you know, as old as I am, um, they're still there for me. They haven't faltered. And, you know, the, the more I'm on TV, the better it is, uh, you know, and that music is is a slow starter, but then it kicks up. And then when I walk out there, there, it's a slow rise. And I like that. It's not the immediate pop, which I like, too. And, you know, the 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 music where everybody's singing now, it seems to be the, the new trend where everybody sings the song. Like Cody's song, you know, Down Straight's uh, song, like uh, Ruby's song, like, yeah, um, Jericho's, you know, just stuff like that. Everybody's like singing along it. And that's good for the fans because that's what we need to do is, is get them involved and make them involved because then you get over and your character gets over and then you're on TV more. Do I need that? No, not necessarily. But yeah, it would be kind of cool to have a, you know, that music. I'm big into westerns, you know, where it starts with the uh, wah, wah, wah. You know that song I'm talking about? Or that oh, music? Yeah. Yes. I don't know if that's something we could do at the beginning because that's kind of cool to me. It's it's different than uh, Adam Page's because right. he's got one that's pretty cool. But I've always wanted to do that little, that little whistle right before I came out, you know? Yeah. Like the, the old spaghetti western, Clint Eastwood shit, man. Yeah. We somehow make magic happen a lot on this podcast. <laughs> you got to tell well, him that we can't change his name to Ruby Riot. <laughs> Green and spray painting everybody. <laughs> well, you know, my last question, I mean, uh, Dustin, I, I seriously, honestly wish I had you for a couple hours because there's so much stuff, but... Um, you know, I started thinking about everything that you've done and still how you've stayed so relevant. And it's like, you know, guys who did these types of gimmicks, you know, starting with you, you know, you basically two careers, Dustin Rhodes, the cowboy kind of 
baby face and then gold dust the androgynous heel and like we were talking about earlier the polar opposites and you think think about guys like uh adrian adonis or adrian street or yeah. you know the honky tonk man before he was the honky tonk man and had more of a punk rock thing when in the memphis and and just just tap it into the to the psyche like the, the those types of things um now as you're sitting here and i know i wanted to, i really wanted to talk about you and swerve because that's some of the best stuff that i've seen in a long time on tv and we're talking about a guy who's probably half your age right but there's this yeah. chemistry between the two of you that was just so undeniable and uh you know and i know that you talked about macho man and wishing to get in the ring but now you got like a guy like swerve that you've been working with but the i i mean so much to say the elusive world yeah. heavyweight championship the elusive world heavyweight championship for dustin rhodes like is that a goal is that a goal for this last ride it's always been a goal right whether or not anybody thinks um i'm good for that spot that's another issue because i don't really know what's in uh, tony's brain as far as man dustin needs to be world champion do i need it absolutely not do i want it selfishly yes um how long i would carry it probably a week but just and be the world champion would just really cement my legacy and that would be cool even a tnt title you know um but I've gone so long without it and I've only had these, you know, mid-card titles like the Intercontinental United States and all the tag team championships and things like that. It would be cool. Definitely cool. And I would take it. I would take it. Uh, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on somebody. And MJF is doing a freaking outstanding job. He is, he is an unbelievable talker. And he can talk just off the cuff all day about you know and just will put you down all day he's amazing at, at the things that come out of his mouth and those people come along once in a blue moon and he has it and he's going to he's going to be like much bigger than he is right now and there's so many of the kids there right now that are gonna be there and hey man the world title it's, you know there's always the the NWA world title, but you know what? It's lost some of his prestige, in my opinion. Mm. That uh, NWA is not like the old NWA. And it would be cool to have, because Cody had it, my dad had it. And if oh, I had yeah. it, first family to all have the, the NWA world title, the same belt, mm. that would be cool. Um, I'm not sure if it's a goal anymore though, because of my age. Uh, I don't know if we can end the podcast on a better note than go get that NWA title for us, at least. Yeah, now I want to see that. <laughs> Thanks. Billy Corgan got to pay. <laughs> I'll start a GoFundMe for that Yeah, shit. fuck that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen. I'm uh, selling shit right now. I'm like on eBay right now. Let's get Dustin fucking Rhodes, the NWA bell. I'll pay you. Fuck it. Yep, yeah, that's right. Uh, listen, for everybody at home, the podcast's over. We're going to geek out with them a few more minutes off the air. Lars Fredrickson, Dennis Farrell, Dustin Rhodes, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This is dream come true interview for both of us. Thank you guys very much.